That is awesome. That is awesome. It has now been officially one year since we've actually started our building campaign. And one thing that we have learned from this whole process is we can put our children to work and make money off of them, right? No? No? Okay, no. <clears throat> Um, yes, yeah, so we have, been, we have been looking for a new building. Uh, you probably know about it. We've talked about it a lot. Um, uh, uh, this is a second of our th- uh, three services today, and we've been looking at different buildings, but of course we have to save money up to make it happen. And, um, and so we have named our year Dream Big. And Dreaming Big is what we have been talking about all this month. And Dreaming Big is such an important part of our Christian walk and our Christian faith and uh, in fact, what I did was I asked uh, one of our members, one of our younger uh, members here today to actually, to, to, I said, you're an artist. I want you to draw up what you think the church should look like. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you how it should be or what should happen. I want you to take your picture, because we've been talking about that, about taking the, the, the dreams and the pictures that God has put inside of us and getting them out of us so we can walk towards them. So he did this and he put together some like sketches and it, uh, I said, if you put wheels on the side of that, we could have ourselves a car. You know, I'd say it's nearly like an, an arc as well. So he started really putting some uh, different parts to it. And, and this was his idea of how the, the building should be. So uh, uh, Mark, Mark Lingwell, I don't know if you're here today, but oh, you're right in the front right there. <laughs> Hi, friend. <clears throat> Um, so Mark put that together, spent a lot of time just drawing this up and saying, this is the picture I see inside of myself. And I'm excited by this because um, he also did the inside as well. And I'm like, I hope that's me right there looking really cool. But so this was his vision of the inside of the building. And I think it's important that we have to have vision. We have to have a, 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 an insight or a picture of what it is that we're trying to go through. Because if we aim for nothing, then we get nothing. If we aim for something, we can get that something. So today what I want to do is I want to continue on with our uh, Dreaming Big series. This is our last uh, Sunday of this month about Dreaming Big. And I started to, uh, last year we started to study this, but this year we decided to take a scripture or the story of of the story of Jericho, Joshua conquering Jericho, and starting to study that as a, as a maybe like a blueprint for us for how we should follow God ourselves this year too. And if you remember from last week and a couple of weeks ago as well, we talked about how Jericho, uh, how uh, uh, Joshua was tasked with, with following the orders of God and how he had to march around Jericho and just follow the ways of what God had told him to do. It doesn't seem like a normal way to conquer a city. It's just to, talk, to, to walk around it. But of course, they did it. And then, of course, the walls fell down. So what I want to do is I want to continue on in that scripture. And we're going to read uh, from verse 12 in chapter 6. And it says this, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, 
so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. <laughs> when I was looking at this, there was a word that I wanted to, I wanted to study this morning. And it's easy for me to try and take it, uh, to take it for granted of what this word means. But it says that they were to devote the city of Jericho to the Lord. So I looked at this word devote, and the original word is actually, 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 that basically means in Hebrew to seclude, to devote, or to consecrate, concentrate, consecrate, consecrate. Um, and so the reason why it's accursed is because if it belongs to God and I take it from him, then I'm under somewhat of a curse because it doesn't belong to me. And so that's what it, essentially what that, that word means. So what I thought was funny with this was that God, if you remember from last week, we talked about how God said, I have given Jericho into your hands. He says, God is saying this to Joshua and the Israelites, I've given Jericho and I put it into your hands. And then later on, he says, now give it back to me. In my country, we call that an Indian giver. Do you use that phrase here, an Indian giver? When someone gives you a gift and then you, they take it back from you? I, I don't like that idea. Right, so if God's gonna give me something, I don't really want him to take it back. And yet he says to give it back to him, to devote it back to him. So what I did is I decided to look at this and, and, and I didn't want to take us for granted that what does it mean to devote something to God? What does it mean to give something to God? And I looked at this uh, as, as in depth as much as I could and I started to discover there are four ways that we actually give to God. Now, oftentimes what happens is, if, if, especially if you're, if you're new to this church, you may think that, uh, is this all they do is they talk about giving because I know there are some churches that only talk about giving in a money sense. This is not really what we do a lot, but we definitely want to have this right spirit of giving and we want to know how to walk with God in the right spirit of giving. So there are four ways that I see that we are meant to give unto the Lord. The first one is this, it's tithes, tithes. In Malachi 3, 10 to 12, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Tithe. This is basically saying, God's, God's saying, I want some groceries in my larder. I want some groceries in my house here. Tithe. Tithe basically means ten, tenth. It's a very common term. It's a, a term that's mostly used maybe in church, but it was also used in different cultures, even in normal uh, society outside of church. But as, I'm, as we're going through each of these different four ways of giving to God, I want to ask two questions, right? And this is important to me. I want to know, why do I have to give? Because I think that's something that we do as Christians. We do it as just as humans. We want to understand something before we necessarily commit to it, especially if it's taking money from our pockets. Why do I have to give this? And then the second question I want to ask is, what is the result that comes from this? Because it can't just be giving for the sake of giving and nothing comes from it. There must be a result from this. So two questions we're gonna ask. Why do I have to give this? And, the, and what is the result? What's my motivation and what's the result? What is the motivation for tithing? 
Well, in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now, notice it says bring. It doesn't say give. It doesn't say donate. It doesn't say sacrifice. It says bring because it basically is implying that this belongs to God. So my motivation is actually obedience when it comes to tithing. Now, I know that there's many Christians today that say, well, that's Old Testament, and New Testament doesn't really say the tithe. They say it says mostly in the New Testament, it's all about giving generously. So if I give 1% generously, or if I give 99% generously, it's the same thing. It's about giving. I understand that sentiment, except when Jesus was talking about it, he said this, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, in Matthew 23, 23. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, I grew up in a house where we learned about tithing, and it was just a no-brainer to us. That's what my parents taught me to do, even as a child. As I earn money, I should give 10% away to the Lord. So it's a no-brainer for me. Now, some people say, oh, I don't know if I agree with this or it's not the type of way I want to do it. That's fine. But as for me and my house and my heart, I'm going to do this because I believe it's a part of my obedience. More than that, I believe that if it belongs to God and I don't give it to God, I lose it anyway. Why? Because I don't have control or authority over that money. And it's something that I've noticed when I've done <clears throat> financial counseling with people. <clears throat> Excuse me. The people who don't tithe tend to lose a certain chunk of their money anyway. So what is the result for doing this? The result, it says, was blessing and protection. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Now many of us look at this and think, well, this is supernatural blessing that comes from this. I don't think it is. I think it's natural blessing that comes to us. What's the difference? God has already set his order in place. He's already set the ways that seasons work. He set the way that humans work. He set the way that the world works. The order is set in place. And he's saying that that order, will, you, you, you will be able to access that order in the way that I have set it because you're now in the kingdom of God. But if you don't decide to access that order and you want to do it your own way, that's fine, but you don't get to access my order anymore, which means that maybe the rain won't come in your crops. Maybe that pests will come and take your crops as well. Now, you look at that and go, well, is that kind of a, is that a threat from God? Not at all. We live in a, in a cursed world. We live in the, in the age of the fall. But if we're in the kingdom of God, we can expect to have access to his original design. That's the way God has ordered things for those who have decided to walk with him. Now, note this. What I've found is every non-Christian business book that I have ever read always says this. They say you should save 10% and you should give away 10%. They should save 10% and you should give away 10%. They don't tell you it's a tithe. They don't tell you that, uh, how you should do it. They don't tell you to even give it to the church. They say you should just give it away. So if wealthy people know that this principle works, how much more should we trust God to see that this principle works as well? Number two, the second way that we actually, uh, that God teaches us to give is with first fruits, first fruits. In Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then the barns, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, what is this about? Well, 
in the old days, in, in the Old Testament, what they did is they encouraged people to give the first part of everything they had. The first, they called it first fruit because it was the first fruits from the harvest, their first grain, their first wine. And they say, offer that part to the Lord. Now, there's no obligation necessarily with this, but there was an obligation when it came to your animals, and it was an obligation with your children as well. Now, watch this. Your first animal that was born from your sheep, which is a, a lamb, had to be given to the Lord. The first animal from your donkey had to be given to the Lord. The first child that came out of the womb had to be given to the Lord. And if you, if you read about when Joseph and Mary actually took Jesus to the temple, there is a way that you can stop your first child from being given to the Lord, and that is if you give a sacrifice of doves and birds and whatever it was. But they chose not to do it because they had already decided they're gonna commit him to the Lord. And so Jesus became the first fruit, which is what it actually says in his word. Our motivation for this is generosity and thanks. Jesus' death was our first fruit and Jesus' resurrection was our first fruit. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, but Christ had indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. If you've lost someone to, to death, if you've lost someone and they have died, it says they, they are asleep in Christ, that he was the first one to be raised from the dead, and therefore we who are in the kingdom of God can, can, can be sure that we will be raised from the dead too. But Jesus was the first fruit that was given. Now, why do I say that it's motivated by generosity and thanks? The reason why I say that is because this is something that is not an obligation. It's a choice to give because it's a giving of thanks. It's a giving of something you're saying thank you to the Lord. Now, why should I say that I should do this? Well, I'm doing it out of a choice. Now, it says here that our results are our favor and overflow. In Proverbs 3.10, it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. As you give your first fruits to God, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, some of you might say, well, you're only giving because you wanna get something back. Well, I rarely find people that give because they really don't want to give, they just want to get something back. They usually give because they're doing it out of their heart. So recently, I was really challenged by this. And uh, uh, last week, I actually woke up in the middle of the night, and if, God, if I feel like I'm waking up in the middle of the night, I hate kind of just lying around doing nothing. So I'll get up and I'll pray about it. And I, and I started praying, um, and, and, I was just, and I was just asking, you know, asking, just, just praying with God, etc. And I felt he had, he kind of, some, this little voice inside of me said, count all the things you've got, right? So three o'clock in the morning, I get my phone out, and I start counting all the stuff that I own. Because you're sitting there in the middle of the night, you know, half asleep maybe, and you're like, okay, I've got one, two, I've got three couches. Okay, I've got how many rugs? I've got two rugs, right? And then and what I did is I started to, I started to list all the things. I'm like, I should go around the house. And I should start counting it and go into the room. So I started creeping around the house. I mean, it's like a creepy guy going around the house, right? Going into all the rooms, I'm like, Oh, I forgot that rug. And I go, this I forgot this rug. We've got four rugs. So then I started redoing all my stuff. And then, and then once I had calculated, and I hadn't even, I hadn't counted my clothes. I hadn't counted the shoes. I hadn't counted the kids' clothes. And I didn't have the time to rummage through their stuff or anything like that. I didn't even get into the garage to count all the stuff I've got in my garage. And I, and I got up, uh, the, the two days later, I got up in the morning and I said, oh, Christopher, I forgot to tell you, I did a really weird thing the other night. She's like, well, what did you do? And I said, I, I decided to count everything that we've got in our house, right? It's not the type of thing you wake up with as a conversation with your wife, right? Like, hey, guess what I did last night? I counted things. I got to five o'clock in the morning and I got so tired, I couldn't count anything anymore. My brain wasn't working. So I said, guess how many rugs we've got, right? She goes, uh, three. I'm like, wrong, four, right? Huh? 
huh, huh? Guess how many seats we've got? And then she got them right. And we, I started doing this. I'm like, guess how many pots and pans we have? So like, I don't know. Just tell me. We've got about 10. Okay. And then I said, guess how many candles we've got? Now, now note this. We've got every type of candle under the sun. Oh, we've got the scented candles. We've got the double wick candle. We've got the long, flat, thick wick candle. I know this because I counted them all. Oh, we've got the LED candles. We've got tall, skinny candles. We've got little tiny candles. They've got the little tea light candles. We've got more candles than you could ever imagine in our house. They said, how many candles have you got? And she said, I don't know. And I said, neither do I, because I, I gave up counting them all. <laughs> how many throw rugs and throw pillows do we have? She's like, Five. And I'm like, no, 10, 10. They're just extraneous rugs and pillows that are just in the corner to look good. They don't do anything. They just hang there because they look like they're there. And just in case you get a little cold, we never get cold. Come on, we've got a heater in our house. But as I was going through all this stuff, I realized I couldn't keep up with all the things that God has given me. And I realized this, my vats are already overflowing. My barns are already overflowing. I will bet you, your barns and your vats are already overflowing. If you took the time to count them all, you would, you, would, you would run out of time. You wouldn't be able to keep up with all the things you've got. And I will bet you, you can't even count all the things he has given you in your entire life. How many bikes have you had? How many toys have you had? How many shoes have you had? There are so many good things that God has put into your life. That's why it's easy to give first fruits to God because he's already made these things overflow in our lives. It's easy to think how much I don't have. Oh, I'm in debt or I've got this problem or I don't have this or I can't get the vacation I want. And you start listing all the things you don't have without seeing how much he has given you. And I wonder if we took the time to start calculating how much he has given us, we would start to be more satisfied in our lives. We start to give out of the plenty that we've got. We start to give the first fruits of whatever else he gives us because everything else he gives us is just a little bit more than what we've ever had before. Thanks be to God that he has given us so much time. I want you to see this. That in Joshua, as we have just read, it says that Joshua got up early the next day, early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. What I believe he did was he got up and gave the first part of his day to the Lord. That's your first part. That's one of your first fruits. Your first fruits can be of your first fruit of your harvest. Uh, for me, what I do is every year, I actually take the first paycheck that I make in a year and I give it to the Lord. I give it to the church. That's what I do. And I've done it for years. And my, my family uh, taught me how to do it as well. And we just do that. When I first came to America, I took my first paycheck and I gave it to God. Because that's my way of saying, I believe my harvest is going to be gangbusters big. I believe what you're going to bring to me is going to be way bigger than anything I could ever give to you. But first fruits could be the beginning of your day. It's amazing how you can get into your email, you get into your Facebook, you get into what other people are saying, and you start giving your first part of your day to other people. You give it to the business. You give it to what the news is saying. Imagine if you would give it to God and say, God, you're special. I know you've given me everything and I want to take the first part of my day and I give it to you. Who gives the first part of their day to the Lord? Who does that regularly? You give it to the Lord. Doesn't it feel good to do that? To give it to the Lord. You can give the first part of anything that you've got. You could give the first part of your day. You give the first part of your money. The first part of your car. The first part of any new thing that you get. Listen, I believe that we do this even with our children. We teach our children these types of manners. When you have friends that come over and they sit around the table and everybody sat, sat around the table and then the food is in the middle and one of your children take a spoon to go take the first scoop of the food. What's the first thing you say? 
you say visitors first. Let's serve our visitors first. We always make sure that we put people who are important to us first. We teach our children to do it. Why don't we do it? Why don't we do it with our days? Why don't we do it with everything that we've got and put the person who is more, most important to us, which is Jesus to me, put him first in everything that I do. Number three, this is the third of the fourth uh, uh, things of giving. Number three is alms, alms. Everyone say alms. Thank you, it's the first time you've ever said, said alms, isn't it? Because you would say alms, is that right? There we go. It says alms. Okay, Matthew 6, 1 to 4, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give it to the needy, <clears throat> do not announce it with trumpets. Doodle-doo, look at me, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by the others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is alms? Alms is not saying practice your righteousness. In your translation, it might say doing your good deeds. Don't do your good deeds for everybody else to see. Alms is basically some act of kindness in fact, it's where we get our word charity from. <clears throat> what is the motivation to do this? Motivation for alms is compassion. Now, in the Old Testament, it used to be that if you had a field, what you do is you would take in the, and all the corn, or you take in, they probably don't have corn then, um, they take in all the, the, the wheat or the barley, or whatever it is, and they, they bring it in. But what they were told to do was to cut corners, to, to actually not go into the corners of their field because the corners were designed to be given to the poor. So the poor were allowed to go into the corners and gather what they needed. In fact, we get our term, don't cut corners. We actually think it is to try and stop doing things in a, in a shorter type of way. It actually means don't go into the corners to take too much. Leave something left over for other people who are needy. That's, that, that's the way it was. In fact, you know the story of Ruth and... Uh, and um, uh, what was the other one? Boaz. Not Boaz, Ruth and her mother. Right, Ruth and her mother, mother-in-law, right? They both lost their husbands. Someone's shouting out to me and I can't hear you. Naomi, Naomi. thank you. Thank you, you've read your Bibles. Um, <clears throat> Ruth and Naomi, they both lost their husbands and then they had to go back to their homeland and they had nothing, so they went to this field uh, by this guy called Boaz and, and, they, and he, he saw them trying to pick from the corners and he said, he said to, to Ruth, uh, gave or as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather amongst the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. That was him giving to the poor to help them to be able to gather in what they need to gather in. But look at this. When Jesus said, but don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, jazz hands, okay? Don't let this jazz hand know what that jazz hand's doing. Keep them apart and do it like that, right? Why would he tell him to do that? Because I believe that secrecy is about protecting the dignity of people. Um, we have a benevolent fund as well, benevolence funds where we help people, but what we don't do is publish who we actually gave the benevolence to. Why? Because we believe it's important to protect the dignity of people. What is the reward that comes from this? The reward is, uh, is the, sorry, what is the result that comes from this? It's a reward and a reimbursement that comes from this. Matthew 6, 4, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a reward to it. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. There is a reward that is said 
to come to us. Now, note this. It's not something that is an obligation that you have to do it, but it's definitely something that God is saying he wants us to do this because people need our help. Um, it's even something that's not just a money thing. It could be an education thing. It could be a time thing. The one thing I've learned about people that are down and out is they just want to be treated like they're human. Am I right? They just want to be treated like they're equal, that they are as important as anybody else in culture society. And sometimes the, the, the poorest are pushed aside and considered the least of, of, of our society. But Jesus said, whatever we do to the least, we do it to him right? So it's something that's important to us that we have to remember what parts of our finances, what part of our business, what part of our income do we need to be leaving the corners open for poor people as we're giving it unto the Lord is what the Bible says. Now, I love the fact that we have a, a partnership with this group called Jobs Partnership where we help people to get back into the business place. And now that's a two and a half thousand dollar course. It's, it's something where people give their time and their energy and their money. They're giving their volunteership to it. They're giving their skills to this course. They're helping other people to get back into the workplace. That is giving alms is what the Bible says. Okay, let's get to the last one here. The last one is the seed, the seed. Mark 4, 1 to 20. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, Jesus said. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst the thorns that grew up and they choked the plants so that they did not bear a grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew, and it produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Wow. Okay, what's the motivation for this? I'll tell you what the motivation for this is. It's actually the salvation of souls. I believe this scripture is taught incorrectly all the time. Now, I'm not trying to say, look at me, I'm the smartest guy. But I've heard this scripture used so many times about the investment of money for the multiplication of money to come back to us. It doesn't say this, and I'll tell you why. Because later on, the disciples come up to him and go, hey, Jesus, cool story about the farmer and all the different pieces of lands and stuff. What, what was it you were talking about? Because we're not really sure what you were trying to get at. And he said, you're my disciples. Are you still not getting this stuff? I speak in parables about the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on. He begins with this. He says, the farmer sows the word. He wasn't really talking about money. He was talking about the word. And so when we're looking at uh, 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 reaping something from this, then there's a reaping that needs to, needs to come from it that's actually going to turn out to be souls. The result is multiplied souls for eternity. And so whenever I hear a, a preacher or I hear a church and they're just talking about just sow your seed into this church, sow your seed in this church, and you'll get something back, you get nothing back. What you do is you get something for the kingdom of heaven, which is called multiplied souls for the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. And so if you want to get something back, then give to the poor because God said he'll reward you for that. But certainly don't put money into the church expecting that somehow you're gonna financially grow because you've done this. The word doesn't say that. And yet sometimes what happens is you'll even, use, you'll even hear the term in business terms where 
It talks about when you start up a company, you'll get uh, venture capitalists that'll put money into your com company and they'll call it seed funding. Have you heard that before? Or a common term today is crowdfunding. Is any, you've heard crowdfunding? The first service, there was quite a few people that didn't, never heard of crowdfunding, and I said, well, that's because you're too old, right? But crowdfunding is where you go online, you start your business up, and you just say, hey, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make something cool. I'm gonna make cool jackets like this. And you say, does anyone want to invest in my company? And then people will start to invest in your company. That's crowdfunding. Or seed funding is what the business uh, realm calls it, but right here, it's seed funding for the kingdom of God, not for business. This, as Jesus was saying, was about the soil more than it was the investment of the seed. Why is that important? To me, it's important. Because sometimes what we can do is we can decide, I'll only give up my time, of my finances, of my, of my energy, of my resources, as long as I get something back from this. But there was 75% of this land was useless. They lost all the, the grain. Only 25% of the land was useful. That's what Jesus said. There's gonna be a lot of stuff that you'll do for the kingdom of God and for the church. It doesn't feel like you get anything back from it. But let me tell you, this is something that Pastor Mark said a few years ago, always stuck with me. He said, the multiplication that comes from that 25% piece of land is way more than what you lost in the 75% piece of land. Let me tell you, you don't have to have a massive turnaround on the land that you're investing into, the people that you're investing into. You just need one person to get it. You just need two people to get it. You just need to get 25% return on it. And the joy and the, the harvest that will come for that will be overflowing and abundantly overflowing. Now, of course, yeah, let's give a... Now, we are doing, of course, our building campaign. And a building campaign is when we're asking people to actually put money into the building campaign. It's not, it's not because we're saying if you put money into the building campaign, you're gonna get money back. I will never say that. That's not what it's about. If you're putting money into the building campaign, it's because we're trying to get a bigger building. We're trying to see more souls won for Jesus Christ. There are many people who actually, who, who neglect or, or kind of uh, uh, push away the whole walk with Jesus Christ simply because they've seen how their parents did it or because they saw how other people did it and they weren't inspired by it. But sometimes they just need to meet the right person like you. They need to be in the right environment to go, whatever you've got is what I want. Are you the person who is the fertile ground that when they see you and say, you're fertile ground, I wanna be a part of what you're doing? See, people uh, reject Christianity because they come across all the other seeds that were in the other ground, which is the hard-hearted people, the, the, the greedy people that are choking the seed that God has given them in them. But you are the good seed. If you're the good seed, then we need to figure out how to expand this area, how to expand our building, how to get more good fertile ground in here. That's why we want to get another building and we're doing this campaign. So as we're ending today, there's something that I wanna do which is maybe a little bit different and we're gonna go over maybe about five minutes. We usually try and end about now. But what you, we didn't do today is we didn't actually do our offering today. And I'm gonna ask the band to actually come back and I'm gonna ask the... the, the, the um, Nick to come with the baskets. And what I want us to do is I want to make the offering a part of our worship today, okay? Usually we do it, we do it on our phones or we do it, um, you know, just do it very quickly as it's going past. But I want to make it as a part of our, our worship today. And if you give your tithes on a Sunday and you want to give it into the basket, I want to encourage you to do that during this time as well. Bring your family down. Let's do it together as families. If you want to do a first fruit, you're welcome to do it. You don't have to do it, it's up to you. If you want to even give into the benevolent fund, do it. You don't have to do it, it's up to you. 
you can give, and if anything, you will see there's a card that is in your, uh, your bulletin. And that card is where you can sign up to be a part of the campaign. We started it a year ago. We've got two years to go. About 80% of our church is a part of this. And I want you to take a time to think about it, to ask God, should I be a part of growing a new building at Northwest? Should I be a part of expanding this building? If you feel God's urging you to do it, then I'm gonna ask you to do it. You can give once a week, once a month, once a year, however you want to do it. It's up to you. But ask God how you should actually give. If you don't feel that urge to do it, that's fine. This is the no guilt zone whatsoever. God's good enough at making you feel guilty by himself, right? This is the no guilt zone. But if you want to do something where you're saying, I'm making my offering a part of my worship. Now, the problem is, is that most of you actually give online. So if you want to give online right now, just hold it up in the air and just like do your little thing, right? <laughs> or come down, just like place in the basket, leave your iPad there, whatever. I know that most of you give online. If you're not coming forward, it's not a thing of, oh, why are you not coming forward? I don't care. It's your thing. But if you want to do this, even if it's an act of worship to God, you can touch the basket, even if you give on, you know, on your phone and stuff, touch the basket and say, Father, we want to thank you back. We want to thank you for the overflow of our vats. How much more wine do you want? I want copious amounts of wine in my house. Well, simmer down, not too much, okay? Right, so I want copious amounts of grain in my house. I want it, my barns to be overflowing. I want to have that blessing because it brings me such joy to be able to give it away again as well. So let's, uh, let's uh, worship together, shall we, Jared? What song are we doing? Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor.
overflow of our vats. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given to us has been so wonderful. And Lord, we want to capture and catch that spirit of giving in the same way that Christ gave as a first fruit himself. We want to give ourselves as first fruits to you as well, O oh Lord. I pray, Lord, you stir up that spirit within us, that there's something within us that finds that connection to that joy of the Lord, to be a great giver, to be giving big, to be a big giver, O oh God. And I pray, Father, that you would bless us, Lord, to overflowing in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. May God bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.